Hello and welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart women who love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne journalists Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. I promise we are working on the jingle <laughs> thing. A new one is coming. They take time. You will not have your ears bleeding at the beginning of every episode for much longer. But we mean a real jingle, not a fake one. <laughs> coming up on today's show, what the rise of singer-songwriter Tones and I says about the music industry in 2019, the photos of Justin Timberlake holding the hand of his co-star, and then the Selena Gomez. Gomez AMA's performance that was shaky at best. But first, Michelle, how was your week? I had a great week. We announced our 12 days of Christmas. I would call it a campaign, but it's not a campaign. What is it? It's just fun. Fun (laughs) stuff. We've decided, I mean, this was after the Batuta Advocate in a podcast earlier this year. We did an interview with those boys and they referred to us as white millennial Oprahs. And at first I was kind of like having an existential crisis about that. But eventually we arrived at the conclusion that we should embrace our position as white millennial Oprah and give the people what they deserve, which is 12 days of Christmas presents. I love Christmas. Mariah, like I said, has been playing for the last four weeks. So now that we're in December territory, it's only fair that A, the listeners get the taste of Christmas that we, not Michelle, Michelle is the Christmas Grinch, of course. Oh, fuck off. That I love so much. Should we tell them about your feet in the elf photo? Yeah, that was pretty funny. So we did a shoot for all of the prizes that you will see over the coming 12 days. And for the announcement photo, for those of you who follow us on Instagram, we decided to dress up in Christmas costumes because, of course, the spirit of Christmas. You do not want to know how much we spent. I think we spent over $150 on those fucking Christmas outfits. I spent $150. (laughs) Worth every cent. And I forgot to put shoes on. And I actually have the most unattractive feet in the Southern Hemisphere. And (laughs) we actually should post. Only in the Facebook group, nowhere else. (laughs) Long story short, you made me crop your feet out of every possible photo. I know it's not nice to body shame a friend. And like, I would never body shame another part of your body. But they're mangled feet. This week, you showed me a pair of sandals that were quite (laughs) skimpy on the feet. And you're like, should I buy these? They're only $15. They were like heavily discounted counted from like 80 or something. Black Friday, hello. And I looked at you and I was like, Zara, they're really nice sandals. I don't know if you can, like, if your feet can carry them. (laughs) You can't pull the sandals off. And I love you, but I feel like feet are the one part of a body that you can body shame and they're not your best attribute. They're certainly not, but that is fine. It's fine. I'm actually not spiralling about it at all. (laughs) So how can the listeners get involved? They can go look on our Instagram page at Shameless Podcast. It's an Instagram competition series that'll be running for the next 12 days. You can win lots of presents. It's just a fun time for everyone. Zara and I will be dressed up in Christmas outfits every now and then. So come along and join. I do have a recommendation and it is brilliant. I really want everyone to go buy the book Pachinko. It was actually a book recommended to us, Zara, by Abby Chatfield in our In Conversation episode with her. Abby hadn't finished the book at the time of recommending it, but she said it was a really great read. It kind of went over my head until this week when we were at the airport. As everyone knows, or as long-time listeners know, we have a tradition of buying books when we go to the airport and reading them on the plane. This week's book that I bought at the airport was Pachinko. I have read 400 pages in three days. It is an epic, epic read. It is such a rich, interesting story. And as someone who, I'll be really honest here, has never really taken an interest in the politics or history of Korea and Japan, this has made me deep dive it and just become so invested and so interested into the histories of both countries. I'm so excited to steal this over the summer break. But this is the other problem though. Whenever I hype up a book, I really worry that people will go buy it and then it won't live up to the hype. But when I posted about buying it, a lot of listeners reached out and said they adored it as well. Totally. We got so many DMs about that book in particular. 
It's also a New York Times bestseller, so I'm sure little old me <laughs> recommending it on little old Shameless doesn't really change anything. How was your week? I had a really good week. I went and saw Last Christmas, the movie, yesterday, and my, oh my, it is fucking terrible. I have to say, I love a bad movie. Like, I am so far from a movie snob. Like, bad movie storylines, bad love story storylines are my jam. That's why everyone who told me that this was a bad movie... I didn't believe. I was like, you don't understand what I'm interested in. It's like, supposed to be bad. You don't understand. And then I went there and for the first 80% of the movie, I thought this is exactly what I came for. This is what I came for. And then there's this thing that happens 80% of the way through and I lost my shit. I was piecing myself being like, I cannot believe this is how they've taken the movie. And I look over at my mum because I went with my mum. She's bawling her eyes out because she's sucked into the storyline. That said, even though the storyline is quite terrible, there is a beautifully diverse cast that's not obvious and in your face, which mm-hmm. I think is a really good thing. Right. I think the other thing that I found really interesting is it's very subtly political in some ways. They have this really tiny, storyline about Brexit and the main character Amelia Clark's family is an Eastern European family who fled the war in Yugoslavia and there's this story where Emma Thompson's character which is Amelia Clark's mum is really upset about Brexit and feels very isolated about the entire thing and it's interesting to me that Emma Thompson this year has played two major roles one is in Last Christmas, which mm-hmm. she wrote. And the other is in the TV series that I recommended last week called Years and Years, where she actually plays a more Boris Johnson, Pauline Hanson-esque wow. politician who runs the country, who is pushing people out. And I just feel like that is such a deliberate move from her to play two opposing characters to prove such a point. Yeah, that's really interesting. I have no no desire to go see this film. Like particularly when people are like, yeah, it's terrible, we'll go see it. I'm like, I'm not going to waste 20 of my well-earned dollars. That's What's a, your recommendation? My recommendation is to avoid paying for that movie. Oh my, but you recommended I go see it yesterday. No, but I wanted to spoil the ending. <laughs> so I knew you weren't going to go and see it. So I said, go see it. You're like, I won't. And I said, great, can I tell you how it ends? The ending was really lame from what you told me. I feel like I've gained a disease or something after hearing the ending of that film. It's just too cliched. I have a thread in the Facebook group of if you want to come and find it, if you just search last Christmas in the Facebook group, Shameless Podcast Community, come and talk to me about that movie. Before we get into the first segment, I can see you inhaling <laughs> to get prepared for segment number one. But no, 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 my little friend, it is time for Zara Predicts. I wish I had some type of jingle to introduce Zara Predicts because... As the listeners will remember, two weeks ago, I asked one Zara Alice McDonald to give her prediction. Zara has a talent. She has successfully predicted every Bachelor and Bachelorette winner from episode one of every season since the dawn of time. And Zara, I thought it was time, given that you predicted Carlin to win Angie's heart, that we would put your skills to the ultimate test beyond the Bachelor. Stop doing it. This is not an ASMR podcast. All right, I'm going to give you the three things that you predicted two weeks ago and your responses from back then. Then we'll get your live response on the show today. Sure. (laughs) My first prediction to you was, who is going to win Best Male Artist at the Arias? This was your response. An interesting one. I'd almost prefer to do a one through to five, but the Arias don't allow you to do that. It's clearly between Dean Lewis and Guy Sebastian. Dean Lewis, Guy Sebastian, Guy Sebastian, Dean Lewis. You know what? I'm going to fucking go Dean Lewis. Well, <laughs> give me the next one. That was very give me the next one. <laughs> Roll them on. I'm very happy you didn't go for um, Guy Sebastian with that one. That's one big tick to Zara McDonald. On to my second challenge. What is the weather going to be on Friday, the 29th of November in Mullumbimby? 
Okay, so I think it's going to be 28 degrees, uh, mostly sunny. <laughs> What's the fuck? That is true. For anyone who looked it up, not just 28. It wasn't just 28. It was 28 and mostly sunny. <laughs> How did you – like, I get it. I get it for anyone listening. Be like, yeah, well, it's near Byron Bay. It's almost summer. Of course it's, it's going to be warm. It's fickle up there at this time of year. But you got it – Bang on. You didn't get 29. You didn't say 27. You, everyone else is shocked. I'm just not. And it wasn't even 28 in overcast. It was 28 and mostly sunny. Everybody is shocked I'm not. Give now, me the third. The third one, things get interesting. I asked you on Thursday, the 28th of November at Waverley Netball Club, who is going to win the under 15 ones game between WDNA and Chelsea Districts played on court four at nine o'clock. This Zara McDonald was your answer. I would or like Chelsea. the record to show that I wasn't given sufficient enough information for this prediction, but alas, because I'm an oracle, <laughs> I'll do it anyway. So between WDNA <laughs> and Chelsea Districts, to be honest, oh it's God. going to be Chelsea Districts. Lock, Lock it, it in. in. Now, it all comes down to this. What do you think happened? I think they won. You think Chelsea Districts won? Yeah. <sighs> it's with a heavy heart that I tell you, that Chelsea Districts and WDNA drew 33 goals all. Okay. I'm so fine with this. I am so, so fine with this. And I'll tell you why. When <laughs> sports bet asks for bets, if a draw is not an option or if a betting agency asks for bets and a draw is not an option, you refund the bets. Actually, that's a great point. You refund the bets. Also, when uh, the Honey Badger <laughs> was The Bachelor, I chose Brittany, but I knew in my heart it just wasn't right. Like I wasn't sold on it. And you had I'm, said from the get-go, something's up here. And I, I think I had said from the get-go that something is up with this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, look, I actually agree with you. As harsh as I want to be... I agree. I don't think I gave you the option to pick a draw. You didn't. I can't believe they drew as well. Poor Chelsea Districts missed out on the final, by the way. WDNA, congratulations, they made it through. I actually think you have a gift. Like, I know that it's out there, but I think you might be an oracle of some sort. If people want to send me their <gasps> questions, yes. should we let them do that? Oh my God, yes. We should have a uh, segment called Zara Predicts that we do, not every week, that's a bit of OTT, but if a Wait. listener emails us at hello at shamelessmediaco.com and you have something in your life, may it be an exam result, <laughs> a baby being born. What else can people predict? I don't know if your boyfriend's going to break up with you. Email us. We can get you on the podcast with Zara and Zara can give you your predictions and then we'll check back in. I need to ask you some questions, of course. I can't just, I'm not just an <laughs> oracle with no information. I need the information. So you'll need to answer some questions on the show. But I'm so, I'm more than happy to share my gift with the world. It would be so selfish of me to keep this to myself. I can't believe it. I'm in awe of you, my friend. Thank you so my much. My ugly footed friend. <laughs> Let's get on to the show today. Mish, this week we also went to the Arias with Swarovski, which was a wonderful night. We'd never actually done any kind of red carpet, any kind of uh, award show thing, which it was an incredible thing to see, like an incredible spectacle to see. Tones and I, the singer-songwriter, was clearly the takeaway winner from the night. She walked away with four awards. But it had us in a conversation about what the rise of Tones and I in 2019 actually says about the Australian music industry. Absolutely. Yeah, the Arias was great, people watching in general. And, and totally. if you want to see what we wore when we went with Swarovski, please go look on our Instagram page. We did kind of spam that 
that account with photos of our outfits and everything. But Tones and I did dominate the entire night. And Zara, it wasn't just the night. When we actually got to the hotel to get ready for the Arias, we saw Tones and I walking through our hotel with her whole posse. And it was kind of like she just demands this attention and spotlight and she is the person of the moment in Australia. If you're listening to this and you might be an international listener or if you're just not very into music whatsoever, I will give you some context. Tones and I is 26 years old. She is from Mount Martha in Victoria. She moved to Byron Bay about two years ago to start busking. Until February this year, she had never been played on radio, let alone commercial radio, let alone winning multiple awards at the Arias. Her second single, Dance Monkey, was released in May this year and it hit number one in more than 35 countries. The rise to fame that Tones and I has experienced has been absolutely meteoric. Like nobody can overstate how insane her rise has been. And what I really loved was her speech, her acceptance speech actually for one of the first awards that she won at the Arias. Hello. (laughs) I wrote this speech. Sometimes I don't think that I'm the most relatable female artist. I'm not into makeup or dresses or typically girly things. But to me, those things don't really define what it is to be a female artist in this industry anymore. It's being brave and courageous and true to yourself. No one could have ever prepared me for the whole world judging me and comparing you to other artists. But what's most important is that you have to be a good person and care about others and carry yourself well. I found this such a beautiful way to open the entire award ceremony because she was one of the first awards and it really, really set the tone for the night that she was the first to acknowledge, I am not like every other person Mm -hmm. that you see on this stage. I am not like them. Thank you for embracing me. I think for me, she also opened the show by performing her hit, her smash hit, (laughs) Dance Monkey. And to see her perform in such a ludicrous costume was so refreshing. So she was in just a tracksuit. But she was mirroring her music video. They were all dressed as kind of old people, right? Yeah, but with like glitter beards. With like glitter beards. And it was just a ludicrous costume. I think that's the only way to explain in like the most refreshing way possible. Because for me, it's long felt like the only women we ever allowed to not pander to the male gaze are like the quote unquote funny women. Like the women who don't exist just to make us feel comfortable. But to see the country's biggest pop star not panda, not give in to tropes, not try to be everything we ever tell a woman she needs to be was such a welcome change. And I remember when we were walking to the red carpet, Mish, it was about 2 p.m. in the afternoon. We had both been getting ready from about 11 because it takes us a lot to get ready. And we walked past Triple J or the former Triple J presenters, Matt and Alex, walking the opposite direction. And they weren't ready, of course, because men don't have to. And I remember looking at you and saying, wouldn't it be lovely? It was such a basic bitch insight. But wouldn't it be lovely to have this entire day to not have to worry about getting ready to just throw on your outfit. And lo and behold, we see them on the red carpet in these ridiculous costumes and they actually dressed as Tones and I and the dance monkey. And I thought in that moment, God, we only really allow men to play that role, to play that ridiculous costume role. And half an hour later, I walk into the awards and Tones and I is essentially doing the same thing. And it kind of proved my entire point wrong, that this was a setting where that was allowed. And I was so uh, relieved by that thought. 
Yeah, well, it's interesting you make that point. I agree with you, but I think maybe music and the Australian music industry is pushing that boundary the most in that some of the men on that red carpet did have like fluoro pink beards and did have eyeliner on and did have contour on and some of the women completely pushed back against that. I do think that's not the norm. I think the average Australian red carpet is absolutely exactly what you said. Women in really high heels and makeup and glam to the nines like we were that had spent hours getting ready and men who had simply showered and put some cologne on. I agree with you though. It says far more about the music industry than any other red carpet but I did find it interesting in this context to see that. Absolutely. What I loved about Tones and I, she was literally wearing the same tracksuit that when you and I walked into the lobby and checked in at this hotel, she was wearing a Nike tracksuit. And that Nike tracksuit was exactly what she wore when she performed on stage and then when she was sitting in the audience to receive her awards. And I just found that really fucking refreshing that this is a woman who doesn't feel like she needs to pander to the male gaze. Although saying that, this week she has received such a raft of hate that even as this comes out of my mouth, I'm like, yeah, she's not pa- pandering to the male gaze and that's why she's getting death threats. Do you think that's why? It's so hard to be able to read why because for somebody who's got so much talent and is on such a streak at the moment, it feels bizarre that that's when you'd be receiving the most hate. But then there's the other idea, I guess, that there's that famous saying, and I actually don't know who said it, but it's like the higher you climb, the windier it gets. Mm. That yes, success comes the higher you climb, but it also gets really scary and criticism comes in thick and fast. She did post on Instagram this week a really interesting caption after she walked away with all these awards. I might read it out, Mish, because I think it's really indicative of her rise and the space that she finds herself in. She wrote, people always say, Tones, how does it feel? It must feel great. What are you feeling? You must be over the moon. It does. And I don't want to take anything away from my well-deserved achievements. And to my fans, I love you unconditionally, but I have been hiding in a big black hole for a while now and feel if I hide it like most artists do, then how are we going to help the next generations of young artists to come? The truth is, and we all have seen it, with success comes judgment and opinions. This I was prepared for. It's normal. But the relentless bullying that follows every proud moment tears my mind into. She finished that caption by saying, I am Tony Watson, a female artist from Australia. I am going through the best and worst time of my life and today I am okay. I don't think this is indicative of what the average artist goes through and I don't think it's indicative of what fame entails. I think the level of hatred that Tony Watson or Tones and I has received in the last few months is unprecedented. Looking at what's on her Instagram comments, it really does remind me of the kind of hate that someone like Billie Eilish gets, but it's probably even more rampant. And I do think it's a mixture of two things. One, I think we're not used to seeing female pop stars look the way Tony Watson looks and not try to be sexy or not try to look like a model when they're in their music videos. And two, I think Australia really fucking struggles with tall poppy syndrome. I think it is such a problem that we don't like seeing anyone succeed to this level and we feel the need to bring them down a peg or two. I do not understand why so many people hate Tones and I on one hand and if you do that's fine but then I don't understand why you'd want to tell her that you hate her so viscerally. I feel like it comes back to the point that we end up making like every three weeks on this podcast which is if you don't like her why like examine the reasons why you're annoyed examine the reasons why you don't like her. I do literally think it all comes back to yes you're right tall poppy syndrome but I think second to that and more importantly the male gaze and not pandering to it. I think the Billie Eilish uh, comparison is really important because Billie Eilish is so famous for not pandering to the male gaze and I think those kinds of things make people really uncomfortable but I think the more we see them and the more women in the public eye that do that the better it is for all of us. One example that I really enjoyed that was given on the Hack Triple J program was that when Gautier who is another Australian singer rose to fame and had that 
infamous song, Somebody That I Used To Know, he did not receive this level of hate. So I think it's a little bit of tall poppy, but it's mostly sexism. I do really want to discuss just quickly, Zara, how much time I have for someone like Tones and I, and also for your mate, Dean Lewis. I think they are real testaments to the idea of someone giving it a crack. Both Tones and I and Dean Lewis got up in their Aria's Awards speech and said how much they risked to get where they got. Dean Lewis had less than $1,000 to his name and was living with his grandmother just a few years ago. Tones and I was living out of a van this time last year. And I think the fact that they got up and said, give this a crack, risk something and chase what you want to do I have so much time. I have so much time for people who want to go out and chase their passion and give this stuff a go because I think that's pretty inspirational, to be honest. Hugely. It also reminded me of the Teskey brothers who I hadn't heard yes. a lot about until we actually got to the Arias. But they very famously paid in pubs for 10 years. Like those stories, 10 years is such a ludicrously long amount of time to keep cracking at it. And I think we can be so dismissive of people in their dreams when we're young, particularly in our 20s. If people seem to be harping up a tree where you're like, oh, they're never going to make it or, oh my God, they're putting all this energy and all this money into something that's never going to happen. These are the stories you need to hear because sometimes it takes those huge, huge amounts of time and incredible amounts of patience to get there. I wouldn't have the strength. I wouldn't have the patience to do it. So I look at people like this and I'm so in awe of it. I think it also takes little moments of complete courage. And I really applaud anyone who acts on those little moments. Thank you, next bitch. And now it is time for the quick and dirty. Every week we bring you guys the top five stories from the rough and tumble of the celebrity news cycle. Zara McDonald. Chirp, chirp, chirp. What's your first story for me, gal? The first story I have is from Junkie. No black artists were awarded Woman of the Year this decade and people are pissed. Did you see this story around? Yes, this is referring to Billboard's Woman of the Year Awards. Who won it this year, Zara? So this year it was Billie Eilish. Gotcha. So I'm just going to recap. Every year for the last 10 years, Billboard has awarded a Woman of the Year. In 2010, it was Fergie. In 2011, it was Taylor Swift. 2012, Katy Perry. 2013, Pink. 2014, Taylor Swift, 2015 Lady Gaga, 2016 Madonna, 2017 Selena Gomez, 2018 Ariana Grande, 2019 Billie Eilish. Not a woman of colour on that list. And on the top of my head, Rihanna, Beyonce. Beyonce. Where are they? Yep. Wow. Isn't that insane? Yeah. And I think anyone that wants to say that's not racism, I don't know how you can possibly say it's not. Fergie. Why would Fergie be on that list ahead of someone like Beyonce and Rihanna? There was also a really interesting tweet that I saw as well that retweeted the list from someone called Hey E.B. <laughs> I wanted to give their Twitter handle because I wanted to quote the tweet, but now I sound like an idiot. But it was. Uh, but they said, this is funny because the use and influence of black culture is what propelled 98% of these women to each be named Woman of the Year by Billboard, yet no actual black women made the cut. Wow. I think that's an interesting point. Absolutely. What's the second story? Number two, Judd's housewarming like the Kardashians down under. That is from Rendezvous. Now, guys, we fucked up. Last week, I don't know what came over us, but we didn't talk about Judd Chella. I, it just... It wasn't a moment to me. Like it came up on my Instagram feed. I'm like, oh, there's Judd Cheller. And I did not pay any mind to the fact that all of our listeners care deeply about Judd Cheller. However, in the last week, lucky us, Zara, plenty of think pieces come out about Judd Cheller and it's given us the opportunity to squeeze it into today's quick and dirty. Thank you to late news outlets. Uh, so for those who might have missed it, Beck and Christian threw a housewarming <laughs> at their house. Uh, it was you know, a mix between a housewarming and the Coachella Festival, therefore titled Judd Chella. It was 
completely extravagant. I don't think anybody can deny that. It was the most beautifully set up party. Like every detail was thought of. They had personalised, I don't even, someone who does interiors is going to be listening to this or like party planning is going to be listening to this. Like cutouts where they kind of created a festival style setup. But it wasn't like they just got the cutouts from another festival or another event. They were all bespoke Judcella cutouts. Oh, it was all bespoke branded Judcella. They had straws that were Judcella. Isn't that insane? It was crazy. There was a piece in Rendezvous as well about this, calling them the Kardashians down under and also kind of hinting that they were flaunting their wealth and privilege at a time when there's a lot going on in the world. I'm interested in your opinion about that because when it was posted about in our Facebook group, people were commenting that think of all the things that this money could be spent on. Mm -hmm. I'm interested in your opinion on that line of thought. Look, I love Caroline Zelensky, the writer behind this opinion piece in Rendezvous, and I absolutely understand her opening paragraph. I will read it out so that people can get a taste of the piece. As Australians grapple with a slowing economy, stagnant wage growth, plummeting interest rates, catastrophic bushfires and housing unaffordability, Chris and Rebecca Judd, along with their many Insta-famous friends, were busy celebrating their wealth and privilege by throwing one of the most over-the-top housewarming parties of all time. That feels like a slap in the face, isn't it? It's a great lead. It's a great opener to an opinion piece. Do I think it's fair? Possibly not. And I would say that to Caroline's face. She's an amazing writer. I don't think it's fair to compare Beck and Chris Judd's housewarming to the bushfires. I think it's too far to be brutally honest about it. I totally understand that it's sometimes jarring to see people with such overwhelming wealth and privilege online. That's capitalism. That's how the Western world functions. This is just a matter of life. Like people are rich. And just because the Judds are showing us that they're rich doesn't mean that they owe anyone anything. And that's a hard pill to swallow. But do I think that they should be told that the bushfires are going on? They shouldn't be celebrating their housewarming? No, I don't really think it's relevant. And to be honest, this would have been planned well before the bushfires anyway. And it's kind of a weird argument to be like, oh, well, the bushfires are happening. We can't celebrate anything in our own lives. I just think the thing that gets me is a common line of thought that we sometimes see in the Facebook group or on Facebook comments generally and across the internet is this idea that, oh my God, they're spending all this money on X. What if it went to Y? We saw it with, um, during the bushfires as well, people were talking about news Eve fireworks and everyone's like, why don't we just do donate all of that money to the bushfires. And I understand the point, but I don't think the world functions like that. You have no idea what somebody has donated behind the scenes. Just because they're spending money in one way doesn't mean they haven't spent it in another as well. I just don't think it's a clever, nuanced way to look at fundraising or to just make an assumption that people haven't donated anyway. I just think that's a dangerous line to push. I agree. I also think we expect something from women like Beck Judd in particular because they're Instagram influencers and there's such a face to their brand. But it's not like we're calling out Coca-Cola Amatil for not donating all their profits to the bushfires or not having their Christmas party. That's exactly right. You look at extravagant Christmas parties from huge companies. Nobody's pointing the finger there. Well, I walked past a huge Australian company on the way into the studio today, Zara, and they had a Christmas tree. I can't believe I'm bringing this up. The biggest Christmas tree I've ever seen in my life. It would have cost tens of thousands of dollars to put this Christmas tree up in their foyer. And of course, that's a branding exercise. They want to look luxurious and like they can afford these things, of course. No one is pointing to that huge multi-million dollar company and going, instead of buying that extravagant Christmas tree, can you please donate that all to the bushfires? I think we expect a certain level from influencers because they are so present on Instagram. And on top of that, I think we expect far more from female influencers than we do from men. 
men and that's really unfair. I don't think as many people would be calling out Chris Judd for this as they would be calling out Beck Judd. I 100% agree with that. I think that there is this idea that you can see wealth more on Instagram. It's so much more obvious. So we make the connection faster, but I think we need to be smarter than that. Story number three, listen in horror and delight as the ABC airs the word cupcake cupcake <laughs> on Monday night TV. And we don't actually mean cupcake. You know exactly what we mean. We the mean other the C other word. C word. That is from Pedestrian. Michelle, this is an outrageous story. My boyfriend Mitch sent me this and he had tears streaming down his face as he did so. For those who missed it, this was on Media Watch and this would have gone well over the people of Australia's heads unless it was on Media Watch. Thank God it was. This story was covering something that happened in Adelaide a couple of weeks ago, Zara. A radio station was playing their ad for Essential Beauty. You know how sometimes when you're listening to radio, it'll be like, what's on in Melbourne? And then they'll run out. I didn't realise those were all ads, by the way. I'm so fucking dumb. I just tune out when I hear them. Absolutely. So it's like, what's on in Adelaide? Then there was an ad for a nail boutique. I will actually play part of the ad here for you and we will beep out the word in question. Check out these local gigs, deals and events around Adelaide. Get your kids ears pierced now for just $42.95. Mutilate those little beyond recognition with double operators and minimum fast. Now, what happened apparently is internally in the radio station, apparently it's quite common for them to record joke ads on top of the regular <laughs> ads. And instead of playing the regular ad, they carted, which is a radio term, you're very welcome, they carted the joke ad and sent it out to hundreds of thousands of people. What a beautiful story. <laughs> what would happen in that? Do you reckon they would have fired someone over that? That is bad. Imagine the hard. brand finding out. Yeah, it would be hard not to because a radio session is going to lose a huge contract over that. It's pretty funny though. It's one of those things that's like horrendous for the brand, horrendous for the radio station and hilarious for everybody else. Number four, Kim Kardashian and Sharon Strzelecki have noise meals via Uber Eats. That is from Ad News. What an ad. I'm slightly sad that Kim K and Sharon were not in the same room when they recorded this ad. However, I think it's brilliant nonetheless. I think the pairing of Kim Kardashian and, of course, Magda Subansky plays Sharon Strzelecki in Kath and Kim, for those unaware. I think that is just such an inspired pairing. Like, bravo to the creative team behind this advertisement. Totally. They did come out in the days um, after the ad was released and acknowledge that, yes, Magda Subansky and Kim Kardashian weren't actually in the same room for filming. It was a little hard to mirror their schedules. <laughs> but you can't even tell. I watched the ad and I'm like, how do they put this together? Isn't it incredible how they've stitched it And I think it's incredible that Uber Eats Australia managed to grab this deal. How much would they have to pay Kim Kardashian to appear in a 30-second ad? And on top of that, she posted about it on her Instagram feed. She has done press for it. All of those things, posting on Instagram and doing press, would require far bigger spend on her half. I reckon you and I single-handedly funded that's <laughs> given how much. The amount we spend on Uber Eats. I know we did shoes on the money season one, but like, oh my God, the amount we spend on Uber Eats is so humiliating. I'm actually at the point now where when Mitch and I order Uber Eats at home, I get embarrassed when the doorbell rings because all of our neighbours will judge us for getting Uber Eats I again. I get embarrassed at work going outside the office to pick it up because I know everybody can see me. Number five, popular women's fashion brand Bardo enters voluntary administration. That is from the Sydney Morning Herald. I was not surprised by this one. I had a big think about it. When I first saw the headlines that Bardo was going into voluntary administration, I was surprised. But then I thought that, well, they've been ridiculously overpriced. Their sizing has been so inconsistent and their products haven't been that desirable for about five years. I actually don't think I've bought anything from Bardo for the better half of 
three, four years and I go in there all the time. Yeah, not just that. I very rarely see anyone in their store. So I wasn't surprised. It says so much about our shopping habits though at the moment, doesn't it? I think so many of us are literally using like the same two stores online, which would be ASOS and the Iconic where we can find everything. We don't actually need to go straight to the brand anymore. I would also say that being consistent with your sizing is so important. As a woman, I don't want to walk into a store with Bardo for those wondering. I might be a size eight in something, a size 12 in something else, a size six in something else. And it is never the same. Their jeans are so tricky when it comes to sizing. And I don't know a woman walking who wants to go into Bardo and not know what size she is. People want to know what size they are and they want to be able to have consistency across all. And it is such an uncomfortable position to go into a change room and not have any of the right sizes. No one wants that. So people will just go to the competitor, which would be what, Chic and Sports Girl and brands like that because the the sizing is consistent with those brands. Bang on. Hey, that's all I've got for you today. Thank you so much. Coming up after the break, did Justin Timberlake cheat on Jessica Biel? Plus, how spin doctors made Selena Gomez one of the most successful musicians of our time. But first, a word from our sponsor. Last week, British tabloid The Sun published several photos and a video of old mate Justin Timberlake looking particularly drunk on a balcony in New Orleans. But it wasn't just that. In the video, a rather inebriated Timberlake, a husband of seven years, was seen getting a little handsy with his co-star, Alicia Wainwright, who is very notably not his famous wife, Jessica Biel. Zara, what did you make of the pap video and the chaos that has ensued? It's interesting to watch. Those photos are interesting to look at because I don't think, in my opinion, and I think I'll say that a lot, in my opinion, there's no ambiguity (laughs) as to the holding of hands and what that actually means. I am very close with some of my male friends. I will like headlock them or like just jump on their backs or or be around them in a pretty close proximity, but I'll never grab their hand and wrap my fingers through theirs. I think that's an incredibly intimate thing. And that's exactly what these photos show. I agree with you. I was at a house party. We're obviously recording this on a Sunday because it drops so early on a Monday, Zara. I was at a house party last night with male friends and I, of course, give them a hug and a kiss hello on the cheek and we'll sit very close to them or have my arm around them. But I would never, ever, out of respect to my partner, hold their hands. It does feel particularly intimate. But even if you're single, like I've been single around my male friends and it's very rare like I might rest my head on their shoulder but that would literally be it I the hand holding is just an intimacy that takes it a level further I think so many people are seeing the co-star tagline and not actually reading the details of the story Mm -hmm. and a lot of people particularly in our Facebook group this week said oh my god they're just co-stars and assuming they were on set they were in the proximity of the set, but this was after hours. This was at drinks. This was around the team that were filming, but they were out for drinks. This wasn't a filmed moment. Yeah, there were also hands on thighs. And yes. I find that... The inside of thighs. Yeah, and I find that to be a whole other level as well. Now, if you're listening to this and you're not quite across the Justin Timberlake and Jessica Beale love story, they have been married since 2012. They have one son, Silas, together. Justin's 38, Jessica's 37. I just like giving ages. I don't know why. I think that's the journal in me every time I feel the need to do it. But I also think I've always assumed Jessica Biel and Justin Timberlake have been the same age my entire <laughs> life. Like They're still 29. Yeah. <laughs> now, the last time we spoke about Jessica Biel, just an odd fact for you, she was supporting an anti-vaccination bill earlier this year. We haven't spoken much about Justin I Timberlake ever. about that. I know. She's an anti-vaxxer. I feel like that's so rogue. She may be an anti-vaxxer. <clears throat> in our opinion, <laughs> she's probably an anti-vaxxer. Now, Alicia Wainwright, Justin's co-star, is 
30. They are starring together in the upcoming film called Palmer. In the video, it's important to say he was not wearing his wedding ring. This is a tale as old as time. Isn't it just? One thing I found curious about this video and these photos was that there were a lot of people around and reportedly a lot of people who were filming with them on set. Mm -hmm. They weren't subtle. Like holding someone's hand is not a really subtle thing to do, nor is putting your hand in the inside of their thigh, which made me think a couple of things. Firstly, is this going to be the first time you publicly get intimate if you're around a whole group of people, I'm going to say the odds are against you, don't you think? In my opinion. In my opinion. (laughs) Because I think if you're so willing, unless you're blind, and there are a lot of reports around saying that Justin looks visibly quite drunk, Mm -hmm. so there is that, but you're around a lot of people and a lot of people that you're working with, there wasn't this idea that they wanted to hide anything from public view. They were on a balcony. The other fact I find interesting, and I think this is where I wanted to take the conversation with you, is this idea of what constitutes cheating and as a partner seeing these photos how you would react Lainey Gossip had oh my god we both read the same article it was so good for those who don't know what Lainey Gossip is it is a gossip website but it's a smart one there are a few tagline gossip websites that I would trust but she seems to have insight and uh, commentary and analysis that nobody else really has. Absolutely. Lainey Gossip wrote, there are some people out there who aren't bothered by JT getting messy while on location and photographed suggestively with a colleague. Me, I'm not a cool girl like that. I'm the opposite of a cool girl. I'm intense. I'm not relaxed. I wouldn't be able to shrug <laughs> this off like, oh yeah, I'm so modern and enlightened. I get the human nature that's happening here. I mean, of course, my husband and I are often attracted to other people. That said, my husband and I aren't drunk with those other people and letting our hands wander to places on the body that when touch suggest a certain familiarity if it were me I would be homicidal I would also be homicidal and this is the thing this week when we were prepping for the podcast I was like my opinion my gut opinion my overwhelming opinion is this is not right but then sometimes when I come onto this mic I'm like do I need to make that more palatable for people who are like eh, be more easygoing it's not that big of a deal but to me that would be a big deal if I saw my partner doing that absolutely and the odd thing about this is that I have so much trust in my partner that I wonder if this happened it would penetrate my radar but I think I have trust in my partner because he's not doing shit like this it's just the kinds of things that make you feel a little insecure insecure and maybe that sense of crazy like you know the trope of the crazy wife or the crazy girlfriend who overthinks things and overanalyzes things and creates meaning where it doesn't exist I think this is the stuff that spirals women and men too the element that sticks out to me here is number one she's at home with their child back in I think they live in LA he's not in LA at the moment he's interstate and I think that fact adds a whole other dimension to this that you can be traveling for work hundreds if not thousands of kilometers away from where you live and you're doing this with another woman. I think the distance between you and your partner when this happens adds a whole other layer of deceit, maybe. I I think so. And there is that classic fear that if somebody travels a lot for work, that something's going to happen. What I didn't realise until I really went back and deep dived Justin Timberlake and Jessica Biel is in 2011, Us Weekly reported that Justin Timberlake cheated on Jessica Biel with Olivia Munn during a, quote, steamy three-day affair after they met at a MySpace live chat event for the social network. Just bringing the facts here. (laughs) At the time, Timberlake and Biel had been together for four years. Like, 
like less than a month later, they had broken up with reps, two people saying, addressing the media speculation regarding Jessica Biel and Justin Timberlake's relationship, we are confirming that they mutually decided to part ways. Mm. Following that, Justin Timberlake did an interview with Vanity Fair about and said that their breakup was too hurtful to talk about and called Biel single-handedly the most significant person in my life. Wow. You guys do the dots there. <laughs> In my opinion. <laughs> that looks like a groveler. It really does. Also, I know that we're talking a lot about celebrity tabloids in this instance, but for some reason with this story and the number of sources that have come out and the whispers around this couple, I feel like they have more weight than the average gossip story. There is also a rumour that when they did get married, Jessica Biel insisted that he sign a lifestyle prenup where if Justin Timberlake was caught cheating, there would be a different settlement involved in their divorce. And I find that fascinating. Well, I also read that Michael Douglas and Catherine Zeta-Jones reportedly have a similar clause where Zeta Jones would receive $2.8 million per year of marriage if they divorced and she would also get an extra $5 million bonus if Douglas cheated. <laughs> Isn't that so weird? Imagine like drafting the terms of this as you're in like this blissful state of pre-marriage. Oh, I anyway. don't get it. I really did think that when this came out that we'd get a very rushed separation announcement, that it would be very much what we've seen in the past where these videos come out and then all of a sudden we separated months ago. Yes. We're going to tell you right now, we're happily dating other people. That didn't happen. What happened instead was a statement came out from Justin's team and then from Jessica's team and I found them interesting. Zara, one read, he's down there shooting his film Palmer. They're starring in the movie together and they're cool and everybody was just hanging out. The video may look away, but it was literally nothing. It's just interesting to me because it is a really subjective conversation as to how you would consider these photos in your own life. Also, who knows the arrangement that certain couples have? I think these convos are really hard to have because you're making an assumption that everybody else has exactly the same arrangement that you do with your partner. Yeah, it might not be cookie cutter monogamy. Exactly. I just, I am just looking at this from my very almost blinkered perspective and that would be, I wouldn't be okay if this was me. Well, we're very white bread and a little myopic, so. <laughs> just fucking boring. <laughs> I wanted to finish with a Laney Gossip insight because I found the bottom of this piece very interesting. I don't think Laney Gossip is a huge fan of of old mate JT. Did no, you get that sense too? Not at all. She said, and will there be any fallout? I don't think there will be fallout. There may be a set of pap shots coming soon of Justin and Jessica smiling and happy. Could there even be a pregnancy in the first half of 2020? My point is, whatever the truth of what happened on that bar balcony in New Orleans, there is no way they're going to legitimise this as a problem. There is no way that me first, Justin Timberlake, <sighs> I find that the most interesting way to describe oh. someone, that me first, Justin Timberlake is going to wear this. This is our fault, the tabloid's fault. He's the victim here. How dare we inconvenience him in this way? Oh. That is biting. Three, two, one. The Sunday before last, the American music industry celebrated the AMAs. Among high-profile and glittery guests, performances and outfits stood an outlier. The shaky live performance from Selena Gomez, who was roundly criticised for her off-key performance. It sparked a public conversation. One of the highest paid singers in the world can't really sing. Oh. So does that even matter? Mish, did you get your hands on watching this footage? Yes, I did. It was hard though. It was very, very tricky and it is still very tricky. If you want to go find it, good luck to you. Good 
luck. We would play a snippet from the performance here, but we will be absolutely eviscerated by lawyers, I'm sure. (laughs) So I'm sorry, you'll have to go find it. What I will tell you is that exactly what Zara said, it was a pretty terrible performance. I feel bad saying that, but it was not good. Her vocals were pretty terrible. It kind of sounded like me singing. I was just about to say, as someone who can sing. You can't sing. (laughs) No, it's true though. Watching it, you're like, oh yeah, that's how, I mean, I would sound so much worse than that on stage. But I think the average human with a bit of voice training could sing exactly how Well, I was going to say the average human can recognise that that's an off-key performance. Yes, absolutely. Now, before I say anything, I do want to preface this because the deeper I dived on Selena Gomez's life, the more I found out about her mental and physical illness struggles. Absolutely. And I absolutely acknowledge that this is a woman who has been to rehab a couple of times, mostly for anxiety disorders and for chronic illness. I absolutely acknowledge that she might be struggling physically and mentally and that she has been for a very long time. She's been very sick for a very long time. I don't think that's a conversation we've had enough publicly because she's only told us drippings of it, but I think that would be a huge weight to carry when you're this young. Absolutely. Now, what I find interesting about this story is that Selena Gomez is arguably the fifth most famous person in the entire world. She has the fifth most followers on Instagram, 162 million people. That is more than, that is more than any of the Kardashian sisters. I find that fact to be scintillating. Now, from the outset, it's really important to explore the fact that Selena Gomez was never originally intending to be a famous singer, or she wasn't from the outside anyway. She was pushed into singing after she landed her own starring gig as the central character on Wizards of Waverly Place on the Disney Channel. And from that, she was asked to do promotional soundtracks for the show. So with Disney, she did duets with the likes of Demi Lovato. But it's really important to state that first, Selena Gomez was always going to be an actress, not a singer. And her career didn't take that gear change from acting to singing until about 2015. And that was a decision that surprised a lot of people in the industry because Selena Gomez is not a strong singer. And Zara, I really, really do want to say this from the outset. This is a tricky conversation to have. Like we are focusing very closely on one woman's abilities, one woman's career, one woman's singing capabilities. But I think it's important because I think Selena Gomez's career and her success says so much about what we value and how fame functions in 2019. So we will, of course, focus on Selena Gomez today. But more broadly, I think this does apply to a whole host of pop stars. Another layer to this is that after the reports and criticism came out about that performance, people reported that Gomez was hit with a wave of anxiety at the very last minute before she performed. She definitely had a panic attack. She was nervous. She hasn't been on stage in two years and it's an important song in her career, a source said, later adding that it threw her off. She did sound better at rehearsal. So then you've got this layer of, well, she was incredibly nervous, incredibly anxious, reportedly had a panic attack before she went on stage. How much would that feasibly impact her actual voice in the moment? I, I can't answer that. I don't know. Yeah, it's a hard one, right? As someone who also has an anxiety disorder, I find this really interesting. And I think we can comfortably say that this was planted, that obviously her team heard the performance, saw the commentary on Twitter, realised how negative it was, and this source gave these quotes to people to say, oh, don't worry, guys, it was just anxiety. No doubt about it. This is an insider. I think that line, she did sound better at rehearsal, means that there's someone who's leaking this is literally within the team because they're watching her rehearsals. Absolutely. I find this excuse really 
interesting in that as someone with anxiety, I wonder if it would be an excuse for me to go to one of our live shows, Zara, stand up, not be able to deliver a coherent sentence, not be able to get my words out and then afterwards say, oh, but I've got anxiety and had an anxiety attack before the performance. I wonder if that's relevant if your job is to be a musician and this is literally your job to go and perform to people, a job that you haven't done in two years. I do have questions about how that stacks up and if it's relevant. It's interesting because I think then people will come back and say, well, does anxiety and mental health discriminate in the moment? Do you know what mm. I mean? And and that's a relevant point too. I do think there is a conflict around, I do think that there's a conflict around the conversation of mental health because what if on the 1% chance this is a convenient spin mm. on the entire performance? Because there is a chance at that. 99% this is true. 1% I think it's absolutely important and crucial that we acknowledge that sometimes a mental health excuse can be detrimental to a larger conversation around mental health. And I know you feel quite passionately about this too. Yeah, totally. It's a really tricky one. As I'm chatting about it right now with you, it has occurred to me that it's probably both things. Like it's probably as simple as that. Selena Gomez absolutely has anxiety. I do not doubt that for a single second. And I and I absolutely sympathise with her because it is a chronic and debilitating and gross illness and disorder to suffer under. On the other hand, Selena Gomez probably also knows she's not a strong singer. She probably knows this is her weakness. And she probably backstage was thinking, I can't sing. Like, this is not my strength. This is not what my career's built on. While other musicians' careers, like Taylor Swift or Ariana Grande or two that come to mind, their careers are built on having a great vocal ability. Selena Gomez's isn't. It's built on personal branding and social media and spin. And it's probably a combination of the two. She had an anxiety attack because she knows she's not very good. And if she hadn't had an anxiety attack before she went on stage, I don't doubt it would have been a weak performance also. I do want to talk about the fact that one woman has been really pivotal to Selena Gomez's success. Have you heard of Julia Michaels? Yes. Julia Michaels is, of course, a singer-songwriter. She is really famous for her song, Issues. I'm sure you can go look it up. Again, copyright issues. I will not sing it. Do you want me to sing it? Go. I've got issues. <laughs> You've got them too. I still don't do, do, know. Do, 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 do. No, absolutely I'm not. not. I can't. I'm not there I'm yet. I'm sweating. Now Take I feel the anxiety <laughs> that Selena Gomez is feeling. All right. So Julia Michaels has written no less than three of Selena Gomez's top charting songs. Julia Michaels wrote Love You To Lose Me, Good For You and Hands To Myself. Selena Gomez is not the key writer. They say she contributes, but she's not the key writer to any of her top singles. She's heavily auto-tuned on all of her songs. Now, I find the Julia Michaels thing interesting because by all accounts, Julia Michaels is an incredible singer, an incredible talent, an incredible pop star, and she has had that one hit issues. But the fact that she is writing all of these other songs for all of these other pop stars and they are more successful under different voices and different names says a lot to me. I think Julia Michaels is very potentially the recipe to Selena Gomez's success in a lot of ways, except for the fact that she isn't Selena Gomez. I think her art and her work often goes under Selena's name and that's really curious to me. But isn't that just indicative of how the entire music industry works? Like unless you're a singer-songwriter and writing your own music, like Ed Sheeran writes all a lot of One Direction song, for example, that it is there are a lot of unsung heroes in the music industry but that a brand is so much more important than a voice absolutely and I think you and I see that and journalists and people looking into the music industry might see that but the average person probably has no idea the average person probably thinks that Selena Gomez is writing her music even the song that is
is reportedly about Justin Bieber, Love You to Lose Me, which was incredibly successful, but also incredibly personal. She had input, but it was still written by Julia Michaels. And I find that fascinating that Selena Gomez not, might not have any musical knowledge beyond lyrics. It's a hard one for us to actually know because there's no way for us to know exactly what input she has on that song. But I think it's also the other thing it's indicative of, of how good a spin team or a PR team around a musician is because the narrative around that song is that it's about Justin and that leak is obviously coming directly from the team because they want to hype up the song. They want people like you and me to sit in our office and play the song and Google the lyrics at the same time to see what she's written about that really high profile romance. So yeah. there is something to be said about the team communicating the message too. And don't get me wrong, I have no problem with Selena Gomez being successful. I God, just no. think it's interesting looking at how some careers can be created and manufactured and how others are incredibly organic. I feel like this, some some careers, this is going to be the weirdest analogy ever. Some careers are like eggs where they just are, they're just <laughs> created and laid and they're eggs. <laughs> and this is a career where it's been, the shell has piece by piece been stitched together. And I'm not saying one is better than the other. I'm just saying they're two very different things and I think musicians in 2019 sit in two very different camps. The musicians who have been created and the musicians that just are. So you're basically saying that <laughs> Selena Gomez is a man-made egg. <laughs> <laughs> a synthetic egg. <laughs> that is exactly what I'm saying. But you get me, right? Of course I do. And I think it's really important. And like you say, it's a hard conversation to have without people making the surface assumption that you're criticising a voice. I couldn't care less, really. But I don't care. I don't care. I just think it's fascinating. It's fascinating. I think that's exactly the point. She did an interview in 2015, which I wanted to quote back to you to finish this. She said, I know that maybe vocally I wouldn't be the greatest singer in the world, but I know my strengths now. I know that I can translate emotion and heart and I've written more than I've ever written on any album for this record. That was an old record. Mm. She knows that she's not the best singer in the world. She's not coming out saying that this is her talent, that she was born to do this in a way that Justin Bieber or Taylor Swift arguably were. I, it's a really hard one, does it matter? I mean, I'm not losing sleep over the fact that Selena Gomez is one of the most famous singers in the world, but not the best singer in the world, because I do think it comes down to so much more than just a voice. I just think it's fascinating that we're wrapping this episode by talking about this when we started talking about Tones and I, and her entire brand is built around talent and Selena Gomez is arguably isn't. Mish, I think that's all we have time for. I think it is. Before we go, don't go anywhere. Melbourne listeners, we have quite an exciting announcement for you at midday today we may or may not wink wink nudge nudge be doing a quick show to round out the year we will announce all of the details on how to buy tickets it's not a big show at all it's pretty small tickets will go on sale at midday today but in order to find out how you will need to be a subscriber to our database it will be a newsletter so if you are not subscribed head to our website sign up put your email there and we will flick you an email at midday today with all of the details yes you'll get an email at midday make sure your friends are subscribed to and that someone jumps online to buy tickets for you quickly thank you so much for listening to this episode of shameless we are so glad to have you here if you want to support the show please subscribe there is a purple button on apple Podcasts where you can subscribe to the show and be alerted whenever a new podcast drops it actually also helps us out in the feeds that if you subscribe that helps new people find shameless as well in spotify if you click follow that also helps us out there you can leave a review we would love that as well thank you so so much for listening to today's episode we really appreciate it we are so appreciative of everything you guys do and for listening so thank you so so much we will see you in the facebook group and on instagram enjoy all those giveaways that are coming for you and we'll be back in your ears on thursday bye
Oh, hi. It's Annabelle Lee and Louis Hansen here. We are your hosts of Everybody Has a Secret. Woo! Woo! We are here essentially just to let you know that we drop episodes every week now. Every damn Friday morning, we are in your ears. That is so exciting. What a time <laughs> to be in your ear holes. So essentially, <laughs> each episode, we unpack the real life secrets of our listeners. So this is for everyone who loves, you know, just a little bit of gossip in mm-hmm. their lives, which let's be real, Annabelle, is all of us. It's absolutely all of us. Don't lie. You all love gossip. So if you want to listen to our show, please do head to your favourite podcast app and listen now. See you there. Bye.